Hey guys and girls and welcome back to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host Roman Segal and in today's episode I'm very excited because I'm going to be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with the delightful Barbara Morgan who is global vice president of for pharma and biotechnology at Kerry. I have been in this sector for coming on to 20 years now and along that journey I have been fortunate to just meet thousands of people, many of whom have ended up being you know, clients or good contacts or suppliers or even colleagues um, and in Barbara's case uh, she is one of the few who I'd class as a really good friend. We've worked together actually for many years as well, but I believe our friendship now is probably uh, you know, trumping any work-related stuff that we do. Uh, Barbara, in fact, was one of the first guests on Molecule to Market, uh, one of those early guests that took a chance on me and this podcast. Uh, so for that, I am incredibly grateful. Naturally, I was really excited to get her back on as many of you uh, that have joined the Molecule to Market community over the last few years may have missed some of those earlier episodes. I certainly recommend you go back to episode five and listen to her uh, brilliant interview that we did uh, back then uh, three years ago. Uh, but you know, Barbara's journey has evolved in the last three years and that's why I was really, really keen to get her back on the podcast. Uh, you know, today she is, as I mentioned, Global BP for Pharma and Biotech at Kerry. And prior to that, she worked at LLS Health, which is part of Lubrizol uh, from 2014 until 2021 and was named General Manager in 2018. Uh, with a, a PhD in Organic Chemistry from the University of Pennsylvania in the US, uh, Barbara has more than 15 years experience in life sciences covering pharma, nutraceuticals, medical device and now biopharma. She has published numerous articles in peer-reviewed journals and holds patents including one of the treatments of cancer stem cells. And she is uh, an absolute inspiration I think to um, female leaders in the sector and beyond. So what can you look out for today? One of the things I was really keen to unlock today was I suppose some of the reasons behind why Barbara left a business that she adored and a job that she actually really loved um, to take on a really big role at Kerry. And for many of you that find yourself in that situation, I think it's great to hear some of the self-talk that goes into someone that has actually made a brave decision to leave uh, you know, a, a career path that is uh, almost a little bit more safer and dive into something that has more risk but the reward and the upside could be great so uh, listen out for Barbara talking about that and um, beyond that as well we get into um, you know some some conversation around uh, you know why the pharma sector has really demonstrated its uh, resident uh, sorry resiliency and is you know I suppose indispensability in the last few years uh, and with that as well why biopharma uh, is very much in a slowdown uh, but the way Barbara sees it she sees it as a blip and not a slowdown which is interesting we cover loads of other topics today 
um, that I think many of you will resonate with. Uh, you know, for the female uh, listeners out there, you know what it's like. Uh, I suppose carving a career for yourself, the, the the importance of sponsors and mentors, and the difference between that. Naturally, we get into diversity, which is a topic that is very close to Barbara's heart. For for you know, that was covered in quite a lot of depth uh, in the in the original podcast that we did. We also get into what it's like just being in a global role, traveling around the world, and also a mum of two. Uh, I've had the pleasure of spending time with Barbara and her family, and she is as good a mother as she is a kind of fierce business leader. But we get into you know trying to manage that and uh, listen out for some interesting tips and ways of, of thinking about that. But uh, you know, I just love her vulnerability in these topics because I think there's a lot that many of us can learn from that uh, and how she thinks about it now in terms of giving back to others and mentoring others, which I think is terrific. Um, we also talk at length about m a in different aspects as well, both from the integration perspective and just how m a uh, can, you know, having a framework around m a can really allow you to assess businesses. And actually, we talk about the future and trends and what's happening uh, in the market. Uh, we we touch on face to face, you know, building relationships, doing face to face, which I think is so important in a post COVID world. Honestly, I was so delighted to have Barbara back and uh, with a bigger audience that we have today than we did a few years ago. I hope you all uh, get a great, uh, huge amount of value from today's episode. Thank you to you as always for listening to molecule to market we would not do it if you were not uh, tuning in every week to listen so I really appreciate it thanks to my team for pulling this together and if you haven't already uh, please go onto the app store that you're listening to today's podcast and give us a nice kind rating and uh, many of you've been doing it which i massively appreciate but if you haven't done it so far uh, then i ask that you do and if you think today's episode will help anyone else and just inform them in some way, uh, then I ask that you share it with some of your colleagues. Enjoy today's show. Lovely Barbara Morgan, welcome back to Molecule to Market. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. Now I'm going to start by saying a huge big thank you because you were one of my earliest guests on the podcast before anyone knew anything about Molecule to Market. So you were kind enough to take a bet on me and take a bet on the podcast. So I just want to express how grateful I am for those. But it is lovely to have you back on the podcast. But for anyone that didn't listen to the first podcast that you were on, which from memory um, is episode five, I think it was one of the earliest podcast episodes that we did. So I encourage everyone to go back and take a listen. Give our listener a little bit of background on you, Barbara, and how you ended up in the sector and your kind of journey to where you are today at Kerry. And then once you've done that, we'll rewind back and, and stop along the way. Sure thing. So first and foremost, what are friends for, right? Like, so you can invite me anytime and I'll I'll come on and I will always bet on you. Thank you. So, yeah, of course. Um, so I'll give you the quick elevator pitch on myself and uh, um, then, you know, I don't love talking about myself. So let's talk about more interesting things. <laughs> Um, so listen, scientist by training. Um, so have my PhD in organic chemistry. I always say I'm a, a nerd at heart. Quickly moved over to uh, the business side of things. So uh, took some business development roles past 10 to 15 years, you know, worked at a law firm, worked at a small VC, but then spent the bulk of my career at, at Lubersol, 
was brought on to do MA work for them on in their health group and then uh, moved over to actually running one of the businesses that we bought, which I always say is really great for <laughs> people. And then in the last year and a half, I've been at, at Carrie running their pharma business and it's been fantastic. And and that's where I am today. And if for any of our listeners that heard the first episode that you were on at the time when you were on, you were at Lubrizol, you know, you spoke so positively about the business there, the culture, just yeah, what a great place it was to be in and and a, a kind of a portion of your career that really accelerated you um in, in, in the sector. So have to ask the question and I'm sure many of our listeners can resonate with this, you know, what what was the decision like yeah. in leaving Lubrizol because you know yeah I've seen it in the space uh, you know in is where people have been with an employer for a significant amount of time where they've really enjoyed that time there in that business has invested in them but for whatever reason they feel like it's time to change so you know knowing you well I know you're going to be quite open and vulnerable and honest and I think yeah. that would be great for people because I imagine there are people listening that might be in a similar position so love your perspective on that. Yeah. So um, why did I decide to leave a company that, quite frankly, I still love, basically, <laughs> is, the, is the question Don't there. Cry. Right? Don't cry. It's not that type of no, podcast. No, <laughs> And you want to know what? Like, listen, it was the best decision I made ever. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard, right? So I think it came back to a couple of things. So if I look at what motivates me as a person or around my job, it's that I'm learning that I'm making a positive impact and that I'm adding value. It really comes down to those three things. And honestly, I had stopped learning in the same way that I that I was before. And I really wanted to learn biopharma. And the business we were in in Lubrizol, like that just wasn't gonna happen. But I knew if I didn't do it now, I never would. And frankly, I also felt like I was I was stagnating and 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 the roles that I could go after, no matter how hard I tried, they didn't get me as excited. So like I just wasn't as excited on some of the industrial roles that uh, could have been a possibility. And I really wanted to get back to a more exponential growth focus. And I was just ready to take on a bigger challenge. It was very hard. And you and I talked it also. And because I still, I still think Lubrizol is an amazing company and I still love it. And I grew up there, you know, it still feels like family. It's kind of like leaving your parents is really what it felt like for me. And I still think that company has tons of potential and will continue to grow, but it was the right time for me. And I think that as I've talked to other people and other people have asked me that question, I'm like, you know, when it's time. And you have to make the decision for yourself versus staying at a place that, that you love for the wrong reasons, right? I love the kind of analogy with the kind of leaving parents. And it's a difficult decision, but once you do it, you kind of look back and be like, why was I so <laughs> worried about it? Because, you know, knowing you like I do, you know, I knew that you'd, whatever you did next, you'd, you'd thrive and you'd give it a shot. And you said something really interesting before where you said you're a nerd at heart and Kerry is not your standard business with the lens of the types of companies that we typically have on the podcast as a whole and I'm going to let you talk about Kerry in a minute so but 
I know there was a part of that business, which particularly the biopharma part, but also that, that you just didn't know at all. And that nerd at heart, was that a big part of, you know, that kind of fundamental person that you are, that kind of, I want to learn something that is new and is exciting and you're going to have to throw, you know, put your heart and soul into it. Is that a fair kind of, I suppose, summary of, of that reason? Yeah, 100%. Also, I've always been intrigued on the biopharma side, so biologics and like my background, small molecule, right? So, and I just wanted to see what the fuss was all about. But I think a little bit on that to, to tell you about Carrie, like Carrie is a leading taste and nutrition company. So you would have heard about it if you're in the food world, of which, frankly, I knew nothing about prior to, to joining who, who them. Who does? This is a pharmaceutical biopharmaceutical. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't know what? That being said, Ron, like if you look at the excipients world, the two major players, they either come from food or they come from specialty chemical. Okay. So maybe I should have before i don't know i just i i didn't know a ton there but yeah you know it carry itself has such interesting history and such interesting roots it was built from irish dairy farmers and it, we just hit our 50 year anniversary there and it, you know when you look at the journey that they've been on i adore it i mean the entrepreneurialism and uh, the things that they've taken on and tackled and just really changed themselves over the past 50 years, it's uh, its pretty remarkable. So I'm sure all of our listeners are thinking, hang on, has she gone to work for a, a food business? But that's not necessarily the case. So talk us through, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to what attracted you specifically to carry in a minute, but like Talk us to your division and part of that business, because obviously you have a very, you know, if you just look at the job title that you you carry, you know, being Global VP for Pharma and Biotech. So talk to us about that portion of the wider carry business. Yeah, so the the pharma carry business uh, really specializes in two areas. So on the excipient side, of which we're all familiar with, right? It's the inactives that that go into um, our drugs, and primarily there, it's inactives for oral solid dose. And then the other piece of our business is what we call cell nutrition, and so those are ingredients that are utilized in the making of biologics. So basically. It's um, proteins and yeast extracts that are utilized to either feed um, in microbial fermentation or in cell culture um, to then do production of whichever biologic of, of question. So whether we're looking at vaccines or monoclonals. And it's super interesting, right? If you, if you think about it, and I just had never been exposed to this, but the same things you use to feed your body are utilized to feed cells, right? So um, it makes sense that a food company would actually be a part of this because the cells are just, you know, the micro version of our bodies. So, you know, you use the same types of things to feed them to, to produce biologics that you would you would feed yourself. Very good. And I think, and you have to correct me, I think Carrie is a publicly listed company, so hopefully you're able to share some of our next questions. But give, you know, give our listener if you're able to kind of like a how big is the business in totality and in, in actually your division as well is it is it well it's a relatively small division in the grand scheme of Kerry it's still a pretty chunky business from memory sure so if you look at Kerry as a whole you know just just shy of of the nine billion mark last year 
And uh, while I can't really give the, the full amount of pharma, what, what I would say is it's not, while it's not the majority piece, it's not an insignificant piece of carry. And certainly for, for me, part of what was important is moving to manage a larger P&L. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it's a huge company, right? Like nine billion, nine billion euros is a is a huge company. So, irrespective of the division size, it it's not going to be insignificant. So, that's a pretty big job, then. So, like, talk us through some of the uh, self talk, you know, which goes on, and you know, when I rewind back to the conversations, I was involved in the actual talk, not just the self talk. So, I know some of the kind of. I suppose challenges you wrestle with around taking on a, a, almost a job of this scale, but again, like I think it's useful for people who want to test themselves and try something new. And in, in you know, in this context, like take on something which is a bigger animal it, it based on your you know, previous, but also just something that is different. And I imagine that was not an easy decision to make into not just leaving Lupusol, but like, hey, can I? Was there any imposter syndrome type yeah. self talk? <laughs> You know, I I wish I could tell you there was because I know a lot of people struggle with that, but there wasn't. And like, I think for me, one of my core tenets is you got to believe in yourself. You have to believe in your talent and know that the dots will connect in retrospect. So were there moments of like, oh my God, I'm going from being a technical expert somewhere to, to not being one over here and I'm going from my comfort zone? to not comfort zone. Sure. But honestly, I was more excited about it than scared. And I would say that's not a typical reaction. So for everyone that's listening, please know if you have imposter syndrome or you have concern around that type of stuff, that is 100% normal. And perhaps I should have more of that. But no, more than anything, I was super excited to learn it. I think having a technical background is helpful because I can quickly orient myself. And, uh, you know, I had learned a ton on the commercial side. And I think when uh, having to run a CDMO, I just was exposed to so much different technology that I think I also knew I could absorb. I think one of the biggest things was not even learning the new technical stuff. It was coming to a new company and trying to figure out how to get things done. And I think I underestimated that. For, for sure. And hold that thought because I'm going to come back to that because I think that's a really interesting point in the being in an organization where you don't have that kind of technical background. So before you go there, what was it that attracted you to Kerry then? What was it about the organization, about the culture, about the reputation that really, you know, given given your uh, your love for Luprazole, what was it about Kerry that, that you felt was the right fit. And again, I'm kind of thinking there will be other people who are wrestling with this and I think your insights will be helpful. Yeah. So I think for me, it was a couple of things when I was looking at what would be next, because I knew that it was time to take the next leap. I was looking at a couple of things. It was, was I going to learn biopharma, which I really wanted to do? And was I going towards an organization that was dynamic and very growth-based? And if you look at the history of Carrie they've grown over the years with acquisitions. So I knew there was a mentality around that. And, uh, you know, that really gets my heart going pitter-patter is that kind of really dynamic and growth mindset. 
So those were the two guiding forces for me in, in looking towards the next role. I wanted it to be a PL role, you know, to run a total business. I wanted to have exposure to biopharma and I wanted it to be going in with a growth mindset. <clears throat> and so I was clear around what was guiding me in the decision, which I think made the decision a little bit easier. And, you know, Carrie wasn't the only company I talked to, you know, I, I talked to some traditional life science, traditional pharma companies as well. But, you know, part of what really sold me on Carrie was um, I'd never been exposed to the Irish culture and the mentality there. And um, I, I don't know, it kind of hooked me. I thought it would be <laughs> fun. It, I thought it would be fun. And it, it certainly has proven to be. Those pesky Irish, that's what they do. That's their, uh, well, that's it. They are. I've been like a British man. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I mean, it's a, I mean, uh, you know, I've got loads of Irish friends in, in, in the sector as well. And time in the US, you meet a lot of Irish people. And um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's fantastic that you've been able to, and I've seen, you know, we can go on to talk about, I've seen some fantastic pictures of you and your family in Ireland and spending some time there and really kind of leaning into the culture piece, which I think is, is fantastic. So let's talk about, the learning curve then so you arrive at Kerry ex all excited to learn a new sector and you know you're taking on a bigger you know, more responsibility a larger team you know larger business what like where do you start in that situation like you know there's someone that hasn't had a real job for a long time like how do you even navigate that on day one and in the first three months because again that's there's so much for you to probably absorb um so just kind of interesting yeah. to get your thoughts on how you went about thinking about how to do that. Sure. I think having an M&A background helps, right? Because you've had to assess a lot of companies. And I think that's what I tried to do when I first came in is trying to understand high level, like, hey, how, where's our strength? Understanding where the products are used, like understanding our customer base, understanding that uh, different pieces and parts of the technology, understanding where our capabilities sat from a technical standpoint, where we expected growth. Do we have resources allocated to that appropriately? And just looking at the organizational effectiveness across the business. And, um, and you know, the Carrie versus Lubrizol culture is, is somewhat different. So Lubrizol is a very technology-focused organization and is driven from that, whereas Kiri, and it makes sense because it's in the food sector, is very commercially driven. And so, you, and that was reflected within my organization as well, not to say that we, we don't have robust um, RDNA and technology groups, but the focus had very much been on, on the commercial side. So I think it was just, you know, looking across the organization and understanding the people the, the operations, the commercial side, and where we were from a technology and growth perspective, and looking at the strategy that was placed and making sure, hey, does that make sense for what we are looking for the, the vision of the future? You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. The thing that I found particularly interesting about that answer was the thing you've said right at the start was the M&A piece and how that allowed you to just give you, and it's funny, you know, having been through a process now, you know, personally with a private equity business, 
you does you you do learn to assess a business th- through a framework, if that makes sense, and certain criteria. So, you know, it's certainly something I'd encourage people to do in in look into because it does give you a framework for understanding a, a business, but also just asking really really smart questions. And so, yeah, I think that's a, it's a terrific kind of observation. And talk to us about you know, picking up from what you said earlier about some of the challenges that you've had in terms of you said navigating and getting things done and is is that to do with the size of your division within the kind of the wider carry business and kind of where the, the the historic emphasis has been or is that just just you know other factors that make things difficult to kind of get things moving at the pace you want to do because let's be honest you're not always the most patient person in the world so i imagine you want to get things done very quickly you know me well like patient not by strong (laughs) but i i would say no it's coming in and having to learn an organization and and build the relationships and know who to go to to get certain things done and when you're when you're a big organization and and it's a matrix honestly it's just learning it right I, when i was at louversal i knew who to go to to figure out how to get something done and so it was just learning that i i don't think that carries really any different than any other big company but you do have to come in and learn who you need to talk to how the systems work and what you know what processes and how they run and and your role in them and i think honestly it it took me a good six months to to get that that figured out and and i still learn something new every day you know because i didn't grow up in it It, and and that's that's certainly a difference too would you say this is the biggest job of your life so far yes i think other people would certainly say that i still think the biggest jump I made was from doing M&A to then running a CDMO, of which I probably had no business doing it. <laughs> you did a pretty good job, though, to be fair. So <laughs> you worked it out, which I think is probably characteristic of your your style. Thank you. Um, so on paper, sure. I think the biggest jump I ever made, though, was was doing that. And you know, and I say this to the, this day, having, I used to probably not have near as much appreciation for operations and and supply chain. And then all of a sudden, when you're responsible for it and you have to go about, in, in the case of, of the Lubrizol side, when we had to go about growing it and, and optimizing it, you learn it a lot harder than it appears. And so from an inclusion standpoint, I think it's really important as you're growing your leadership to put yourself in some spots you haven't before because it, you really get an appreciation for things that you think are relatively simple or, or just not. And you've beautifully segued into my next topic, which was around leadership. And not to compliment you too much, um, but you you are a great leader. I've seen you in action, you know, if in terms of the way that your team look up to you the way that you engage with them both personally and professional you know you're an exceptional leader and i know you always work on that and you're always improving and that's that's definitely uh, something that i see from you since we last spoke so it's been three years since we did the kind of first podcast together i'm interested to know of how your views on leadership have evolved since then are there any assumptions or thoughts that you had that you know that almost like your beliefs three years ago that you're like that you've questioned since bearing in mind we've been through a pandemic during that time 
as well. But so, you know, so I'm just interested, you know, it, it, and I suppose what I'm trying to get to is, is when we bring guests like you on the podcast, I don't want people thinking that everyone is the finished article because you are a great example of you're always working pro- progress. And I mean that in the best possible way, like you are continuously improving yourself. So it'd be great to share some of, I suppose, the things that you've learned, you know, with respect to leadership specifically over the last few years. Yeah, I think so. When I look at um, the the difference in leadership where I was at from a perspective at Lupersol versus where I'm at now at, at Carry, I think I just have more perspective. So some of the things have evolved. You know, I, I think because I did grow up within the Lubrizol architecture, I think I was too emotionally invested in some things. And I think that in some ways that clouded my perspective. And, and not to say that I'm not emotionally invested in um, Carrie, because I am, and I think you can hear that, but I think I'm much more objective and I think it's made me a better leader. And so I do think that has evolved. And I think when I was at Lubrizol, everyone saw me as the technical expert, even though I was running the business. And people don't see me that way at Carrie. And that's been really good for me. So I think I think evolving in, in that way has been certainly really helpful. Do I think like the same principles of leadership of like people first, you invest in your people and that's the best investment you can make? That hasn't really changed. Diversity and inclusion matters. That hasn't really changed. I think I've taken a much more holistic look at the business now. And I think that has evolved. And I think it's made me a stronger leader. And I think that I've gotten better at spending time for impact versus um, the squeaky wheel. But I think that's more just perspective and growing and maturity. Love that. And it's interesting because it's definitely a journey that I've been on in the last few years as well to look at situations and try and extract the emotional and not react to them and actually take a slightly more objective view. Easier said than done when you kind of hot wear your heart on your sleeve. And you mentioned in that last answer there, uh, diversity, and that was a big topic when we first met. And it's one of the things I learned from you actually was kind of the concept of, you know, having a diverse team and what that can do to business outcomes so knowing that that's probably not changed in terms of your fundamental belief but again like you know as the world has been through very interesting times in the last few years how do you think about diversity today in terms of how you operate your team and how you recruit and all that kind of good stuff because it's it's a kind of i don't really call it a challenge probably not the right word it is a uh, a scenario or a situation and something that many business leaders are trying to get their head around and ultimately trying to address in the right way. So interested in your thoughts on how you've evolved your thinking or how you think about that today. Yeah. So I don't like for me, I don't think I think about it all that much different in the sense that like, it's a fundamental way that I run the business is that diverse diverse teams lead to better outcomes. And I was really lucky in the sense that my carry team is actually incredibly diverse and it's truly global. And I've really loved that. Like I've learned much more around the Asian culture than I ever had before. And it's been so, you know, it's just been delightful. 
So I think for me, that is a, that's exactly the same in, in terms of as a core belief of mine. Now, the world, do I think we're still struggling with it? Sure. I do think that everyone is trying to achieve it. And I think the and carries no different and and the culture it in because the caring culture is one of change they've embraced it in in ways that it it's not a question we're going to do it right so you know it's in our sustainability report on on our goals around particularly to uplift where we are from a gender perspective so you know i've stepped into a company that firmly believes that diversity matters as well and and yeah, and and you and you and I have talked about this before. From a hiring perspective, I'm always looking for a diverse perspective there, and and not just around gender and not just around race, but their experience and and their personality as well. Yeah, it's that diversity of perspective, diversity of thought is 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 where I think greatness can definitely come from. And that kind of appears in lots of different ways. And you mentioned Asia, and that was one of my questions around. You know, I. Uh, uh, as I often do before guests come on the show and I mean obviously I have the pleasure of knowing you personally as well but seeing pictures of you with your team in Korea and Japan and India and Dubai on one hand it looks like you're living the jet set, jet set lifestyle of a business well, I'm leader glad I that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it's funny because I see it and it's always like wow look she's, she's in, you know Bob's is here or she's there but you know having done this myself for many years I suppose taking a slightly different slant on on that is, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting your family and your two gorgeous daughters, and I'm sure lots of female leaders have been in this situation where they've actually they've got a job to do, and that requires the travel commitment. So, how have you found managing that with the, the family and you know with the girls and and kind of I'm not going to say getting the balance right because i imagine that's always a challenge but i imagine just given the amount that the the, the job uh, demands of you and also probably the demands you put on yourself which is probably which is probably higher um how have you dealt with that and how do you how, how have you managed to to deal with that situation sure so i will always i don't like the the term work-life balance i call it work-life integration <laughs> and sometimes you give more work and sometimes you give more life and and so it's very much integrating those those two in in together and i think on the travel piece for one and i have an amazing uh support system you know my my husband you've met him is it's far too good for you. I mean, I'm happy to say that. I know. <laughs> no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> he's a delight. He's amazingly supportive, and uh, and then I also have, you know, it takes a village. So I have support around and in, in in my in laws, and then um, uh, and our nanny as well. So I have a ton of support, and the girls have grown up knowing no different of me traveling and, and we talk about it um and talk about why i do it and the importance of like i'm going out there to work on medicine and the, our number one rule is mommies always come back so they've grown they've grown up with it is it in i'm glad it looks glamorous it just certainly doesn't feel glamorous but listen you have to get out there and first and foremost 
when I did it, it was to get to know my team. And then afterwards, it was to get to know, to know my customers and the opportunities and challenges that we have. And look at where, you know, 50% of the population is. For me, Asia, got to get to know it, right? Um, and uh, there's so many different cultures across Asia and the, the needs for medicine are, are very different out there too. So I look at it as uh, all of us knew in getting into this job what it would look like. Sometimes, yes, it's hard, but, you know, you have to really make sure that that you balance taking care of yourself in the times that you need it, but also what you feed will grow. And so I need to get out there and see my team and, and my customers. Work-life integration, I think we're all stealing that from you, um, which I think is a terrific saying. And also just, you know, on the point there around travel and, and seeing clients and it's really excited training session with some of, some of our team this morning at Remarketing and I, I talked specifically about getting out and seeing customers in person because it's so much different you know I mean I, I appreciate the irony that you and I are both working from home <laughs> today but I suppose from a from a culture perspective as a leader is, is that something that you are encouraging more which is more face-to-face connection appreciate the cost and environmental impact of teams flying all over the world but in your experience do you feel that kind of face-to-face investment in time is is absolutely worth it so i personally do and i think when you're new to an organization the fastest way to build trust is face-to-face right you just cannot replace that and frankly i'm an extrovert and being with people gives me energy so like I don't want to take away from from that piece as well. But I like I think it's important. Yes, we can do more than we ever could before on on video, but you still need to get out there and see your teams face to face and for your customers, the conversation that you have when you're sitting in their plant or sitting with them is so much different than the conversation you have over video. And that's particularly true in certain cultures. So, you know, the conversations that I had when I was in Japan and Korea, that could have, that just could have never happened. Mm, that's interesting. Fascinating insight for our listeners in terms of doing business in Asia. And I, that's certainly been my observation as well. And you and I shared notes on time in Japan in the last few months as well. I thought. Yeah, it's amazing. So... But we don't work for the uh, tourist board of Japan, so we'll we'll hop there. And I also am like the tourist board of North America as well, because I do think you know, uh, and I say this to my Irish colleagues, like the U.S. the topography as you go across, like it's also a beautiful country too. So I don't want people to think I'm Asia only. I I share my love around the world. So before we turn the kind of spotlight on the future and what's happening in the market right now and just what you see on the horizon that you're able to share with our listener i wanted to just uh, talk about mentorship and mentoring which was a big topic that when we we talked a, f- a few years ago and i've so i've seen some fantastic stuff on your linkedin around uh, you know future female leaders and you know you like even included your children in that which i thought was fantastic so um, and I know that mentoring is and sponsoring is are two things that are very kind of close to your heart and important to you. So talk to us about I suppose, the ways in which you're helping others, but also some of the benefits that you've had from having 
uh, mentors around you in the last, say, decade or so? Sure. So, and I think we've talked about this before, mentorship and sponsorship are, are different, right? So mentors are people that, that you go to to talk through certain aspects of, you know, ideas or to get uh, diverse perspectives. And sponsors are the people that are speaking for you in the room when the next job comes up. And a lot of times those are, are different people and frankly should be different people or oftentimes can be. So for me, I've benefited from both in my career. And I think just as importantly is to remember to give back on it. So I think a personal goal for me is to make sure I'm both mentoring and sponsoring women as well. So we have always set a goal of that and no different at Carrie. So I, I sponsor three um, or mentor three wonderful women at, at Carrie and, and sponsoring a, a handful of them as well. That's awesome. Good on you, given how busy your life is anyway, <laughs> that you are able to make the time to help others and kind of pay forward, which is something that we certainly encourage everyone to do. So, all right, last few minutes, because I've kept you for ages today. Let's talk about the sector generally. And obviously, since you joined Carrie, there's been a you know, significant shift you know, from a macro perspective. Um, you know, the biotech market has slowed down. We've had banks going out of business. We've had interest rates going up, inflation through the roof all that kind of stuff, in addition to kind of general industry stuff. So talk to us about how that's impacted you guys. And then also just, I suppose, your thoughts on kind of how you guys are positioned to to grow further in the future, given your capabilities. Sure. So if you look at, you know, from a macro level, all those things you say are true, though what I will tell you is that pharma is pretty steady in the sense that it's fairly indispensable. So <laughs> You know, I think we saw through the pandemic, pharma's going nowhere and it needed more than ever in, in times of um, unrest. So I think pharma itself still has healthy growth. We certainly have seen a little bit of contraction in some of the biotech spaces, which is just, you know, in cell and gene therapy where people were investing huge amounts. I think we've seen a little bit of a slowdown, though, honestly, it's like saying going from 35% growth to 20%, right? So it's still growing. It's just not, you know, the insane growth that, that we saw before. But I think also if you look at the past history for pharma, that's also the natural cycle. There's the hype of a technology and then there's the reality of it. So I think at the end of the day, no one technology solves everything. And I think we're seeing that. So monoclonals are still here to stay and they're growing. Small molecules will always be a part of of the world, and those are growing. And so, if you look at the the new drug applications that happened last year, I think still fifty percent of them were um, were actually small molecules. So those those are going those are going nowhere. So I think you know, just like I said before, diversity matters. It's certainly certainly the same um, here in pharma, and what this means for for Carrie, luckily for us, we're actually positioned on both sides. So we supply ingredients that that go into the small the small molecule world, and then we also supply ingredients that go into the world of biologics. So for us, we're we're here to to ride both waves, um, and and so when we look at future growth, it is on both sides of that as well. So we did an investment. Um, uh, 
with Selecta to, to acquire precision fermentation capabilities, but also it, it brought in um, the enzyme family of ingredients, and particularly one product there is, is Generase, which is, which is utilized in cell and gene therapy, but also in vaccine. And then uh, on uh, right when I was coming in, we acquired Niacet, which has uh, acetates, which are actually utilized all across the, the, the pharma value chain. And so certainly have been able to incorporate those into our current business and uh, continue to grow in, in the different verticals there. It's interesting that word diversity because the way you talk about the business model is almost like a diversity in portfolio. You're spreading your bets and I mean that in the, in the best possible way where you want kind of all like in one, one basket. I might be unfair, I don't know, but it just seems that you guys are placing yourselves in the right places to, you know, ride out slowdowns and and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, all that if they all grow, you're in a great position because you guys are providing ingredients. I mean, I think particularly what we saw last year is that um, in biopharma, people overstocked. And I think you're seeing that in some of the slowdowns and Q1 results that came out. We were we were lucky enough to not have been impacted by that. So uh, if you saw in our Q1 results, uh, pharma grew. And I think for us on the the diversity of the portfolio, it, you know, I my job here is to make sure that in 10 years time, we remain at the seat of the table that we have now. So making sure that we have new ingredients that are utilized in the next generation of medicine. So I want to make sure, you know, we have right now we have a, a diverse portfolio and we're utilized in, in a lot of well-known drugs today, but I want to make sure that that we keep up with the pace of innovation so that that's still the case 10, 20, 30 years down the line. And, and looking at the drug approvals by, by the FDA alone, you know, there are going to be lots of drugs approved <laughs> in the next decade or so. So positioning yourself across whether it be pharma and selling gene, et cetera, is really smart and no doubt you'll have success. Final question, um, just because you've mentioned m a a couple of times, and I know it's something that's a topic you and I normally like to, to jam about and chat about. So I appreciate the acquisitions that you guys have done probably were relatively soon after you arrived. So be interesting to get your take both on the integration of acquisitions and how have you found the integration of acquisitions, you know, for anyone I speak to, they always tell me that's the hardest bit, you know, not necessarily finding the the companies and assessing the companies, doing the diligence. It's actually when the deal is done is is actually integrating it. So anything you can share on on that in terms of how how difficult it is and any kind of tips or tricks and, you know, frameworks that have worked well and you kind of thinking about that when you're dealing with not just products, but, you know, people as well. Yeah, I think, listen, Integration is tough no matter no matter what, right? And I think sometimes people have a misnomer that small companies are easier. And I would say that's just not true, right? So I think you gotta do exactly the same thing as a as a big company. And in some ways I think it's harder for them because they're coming from small to big. I think don't underestimate some of that. What I have found is that relationships matter just like they do in everything else. So I think really getting to make sure you understand uh, the key people there, what's important to them, and also 
don't sweat the small stuff, right? So prioritize for impact and uh, and, and make sure that everyone's on the same page and also helping people understand the why instead of just giving a laundry list of here's all the things we need to do. I I think it always helps to give people context on like why something is important that we do when it comes to integration standpoint and just being organized and communicative, like all the standard stuff. But I think, yeah, don't underestimate some of the the cultural aspects and don't underestimate small versus big. I love that. Absolutely subscribe to that kind of don't sweat, don't sweat the small stuff. And as you know, when you've got small kids and the mess they make, it's always, it's always the best example of, I think my mum once said to me, she's like, there's, it's going to be messy for like 15 years. <laughs> like just <laughs> like, let, it, let it go. You learn to kind of, to chill out about it. But um, listen, Bobs, I adore you. I am so grateful for the time you have made to come back on the podcast. It's genuinely lovely to see you continue to grow professionally and personally, but also maybe you don't see this, but I see a different version of you today than I did three years ago. The way that you talk about m the way that you talk about culture and leadership, it's even more sophisticated. And I always learn from you and it's something I said to someone recently about you said, like every time I see or speak to Bob's, I learn something. I don't, don't know if you ever realized that, but you are a bit of a fountain of knowledge of stuff and you're always willing to share, uh, you know, as demonstrated with your mentorship stuff so thanks as always for coming on um, you're too kind as always you make me blush but but there's <laughs> no camera I, it's fine it's fine <laughs> you know i love talking to you as well so anytime ramon anytime so any of our listeners if they want to reach out to you where's the best place to find you barbara in terms of like if they want to send i'm guessing connect on linkedin is probably the easiest thing. yeah linkedin's the the easiest here let me give out my personal cell phone no kidding <laughs> LinkedIn's <laughs> very good we definitely i think we've definitely had one guest on that did that and uh like full-on email address and i think we may have cut it out and we're like you're gonna get inundated with investment calls and you know especially when you're in an m and a role yeah you're, you're about to get attacked but bob thank you so much for being a yeah, guest on one of those talk soon bye hi again thanks for tuning in to today's show really hope you enjoyed the episode for more shows have a look on spotify apple or amazon wherever you like to listen and do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically and please get in touch via our website at molecule to market pod or via linkedin or twitter we love to hear from you so if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization you think would make a great guest on Molecules Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.